All right, hey, what's up, everyone? This is Kyle here. You know, I got Soul Podcast. This is number four. Got my man Ed here. What's good? And we got Tom back in the mix. What's up, Tom? What's up? Thanks, everyone, for listening. Tom, finally back from exile. We missed you, player. <laughs> We're I mean, back wait, to talk about R&B. About, uh, it's been about two weeks since our last podcast, so a lot to catch up on, just even with the tournament itself. And then we want to go through a couple of things that we've been discussing on our Facebook page, including Sierra Sales um, and other things. But uh, I just want to start off by talking about the tournament itself. We're down to two albums. Usher's Confessions album and Lauren Hill's Mis- Miseducation of Lauren Hill's album. Guys, um, I've already started on, you know, tallying up the votes, but kind of where do you kind of see this going? I said on the earlier podcast that I think that if you took all 64 albums, that the best album out of the lot was Lauren Hill's Miseducation. And going up against Usher, it's going to be... It's going to be huge. I hope and I think because our fan base has been so loyal and so knowledgeable about putting who I feel really are the best albums against each other, that Lauren would pull it off and be the deserved winner. Yeah, in my opinion, I don't think it's too much of a surprise. I mean, really, I could see it going either way. But, you know, when we started this thing, if you have told me these two were in the finals, I would not have been surprised one bit. Right. And, you know, just to touch up on something, because we haven't done a podcast in a while, the last round we had Drew Hill against Usher. Drew Hill almost won. I think they lost by about three votes. Gosh. Um, Just talk about that. Drew Hill, they almost made it to the finals. Well, as we were saying in the last podcast, like their fan base is just so rabid. And the album in question, that debut, again, if Ed was reviewing albums in 1998, we'd be talking about five stars. But I think the overall impact of Usher's album just really leans. I mean, to this day, this album's probably 15 years old at this point. I mean, 10 years old at this point. And it still weighs a little bit more heavily than Drew Hill's debut. Because some people really lean on the sophomore set as their definitive album. I wouldn't agree, but I have heard that sentiment. So I think that it was close. I expected it to be close, but... Really, the winner, the 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 better album won. I think that I, I don't know. This is just like a conspiracy theory, but imagine there just being some Usher haters out there, and huh? them just just, just going against Usher. That's, I mean, that's a legit point. I I, mean, I try to give people a little bit more credit than that, but you know, legit point. I'm not I'm not trying to diss anyone or anything. I'm just no. this is like a wild theory. <laughs> you know, who knows. Well, no, and that, and that theory might be true for, you know, a couple hundred voters. We don't know. You might be right, because yesterday I posted a picture on our Instagram and on our, on our Facebook. It had a picture of, I'm trying to think, Janet, Mary J, and Beyonce. They were all in one picture, and I said, if you guys had to choose to see one person on tour, who would you go see? No one picked Beyonce. So it might be the same case with Usher, where we just don't like Usher or Beyonce anymore. <laughs> Good well, Lord. I, mean, I, I would not cross that behind. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a uh, couple of days. And left. it's weird. Usher, I mean, 
I know that in the past few years his his slide into pop has not been well received, but we still can't look past the man's talent. The man can sing, the man can dance. He is a, I mean, a, none of the most well-rounded talents out there. And if you read SoulInStereo.com, you know Usher is not my favorite human being on earth. So I give credit when it's due. The man deserves respect, begrudgingly, if I have to give that. Well, let me ask well, you guys this. You know, Tom and I have been talking about it, too, is that, of course, I would say in the last 10 years, has it been 10 years already, the fans have kind of been on and off, you know, with Usher's music because he's kind of dipped into the EDM world, the pop world, but also maintaining that R&B sound on some of his other records. When mm-hmm. we look at the last two years with songs like Good Kisser, New Flame, the new single that he has with Wale, and then he's also had a couple of EDM records as well, as well. Where do you think, and of course, I don't mind with Juicy J, do you think with all these records that have come out, has it, are the R&B fans, you know, forgiving him or do you think it's still half and half right now? I will say that it's it's half and half. I think that some are not going to forgive him because he still dabbles in those songs i mean you have um you know like his single i don't mind people are some people are just going to take the lyrics and say I, I can't relate to that even though it's an r&b record it's like he he just went a little too far for some people based on where he's been like if you look at his day one fans you have to wonder how do they feel about him now are they still around and i would question if they're still around or not many have probably moved on to other artists so who knows well, I definitely agree with Tom. I think it's half and half, but as I've discussed quite a few times before, I think in some cases it's slightly unfair because many of the Usher fans who are vocal on my blog want Usher circa 1997, Usher circa 98, Usher circa 2004, and who can't expect an artist to sound like he sounded a decade ago or 15 years ago an artist has to evolve and the the trick is to keep your core audience while evolving your sound that's something that jay-z for better or worse has done well and a few others but then you got people like dmx who sound like freaking who's still wearing your white beater and riding on your motorcycle all the time and i think that we have to kind of give artists kind of the breathing room to grow if they're putting out good music and to be honest usher stuff has been very hit or miss some stuff is good some stuff is booty so what we need to do is i think give them a little bit of breathing room and fans are fickle so if fans get a good track they will be back if you get some and stuff you will not win them back, especially if they're already on the fence. So that's where Usher is right now. And I think fans are just waiting for him to either give us that sound that was confession sound or a new sound that inter- that still has the spirit of that. And we haven't really gotten that yet. The closest was Good Kisser. We ain't got it yet, though. Well, it's interesting. Um, just in your opinion, guys, what what route do you guys want Usher to go in? Because I hear a lot of people who say, you know, it's time for him to jump into the urban AC market. But I remember when he put out the Here I Stand album, that mm-hmm. AC record, but it didn't really seem to be too receptive. It didn't I mean, work because... Me. Well, go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, it's the way I see it sometimes, it's unfortunate that fans kind of try to box in an artist and try to prevent them from growing 
And then, you know, when, sometimes when an artist tries to do things to please the fans, then the fans don't tend to support. I mean, it's like, I'm not trying to call fans. We've got some great R&B fans who come to our site and I'm not, I'm not talking about anyone specifically, but you know, artists need to develop. R&B as a whole will develop. You can't always, this isn't, you know, we're not going to go back to 1995, you know, anymore. You know, this is the direction we're moving in. So I, you know, I don't know the answer really. Hmm. I, I think you like make a good point, but. Um, going back to the Here I Stand album, I think that it's funny because fans were saying, okay, we want Usher to mature and he's married now. We want him to do this. And then he puts out that album and it's like, oh, he sounds like an old man. So the artists are really stuck between trying to reach a new audience and appealing to the old. We see that problem with Mariah right now. So I think Usher's really best case is to try to forge ahead a little bit, not to go all the way to the left of EDM or the pop or or whatever David Gettle's putting out. So best case for him is to stay in the R&B lane, tweak that sound slightly. I think we see that a little bit with Miguel and a few others who can kind of, his music is definitely rooted in the R&B and in, in the fundamentals. I wish Usher would stay a little bit closer to that and then just branch out slightly and just, just throw out a, a, a street burner here and there, just a, a little street single to get some buzz going and to get some reaction and then kind of tailor the project toward that. I think he still has another great album in him, but he really has to be careful winning over these fickle fans. Right. And, you know, you just mentioned Mariah, and we've been talking about Mariah for the last couple of podcasts and what she needs to do to, you know, get back to where she was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, read an interesting quote from L.A. Reid, who signed Mariah to his label uh, on Epic. He said something along the lines of, and I'm just paraphrasing here, that, um, you know, to even be on the radio at this point is going to be tough for Mariah because the radio doesn't really, you know, they don't play the veterans' new music anymore. They want to play the classics, but, you know, if you look look at the radio right now, you don't really hear singles by people like Prince by Stevie Wonder, etc. Um, so do you guys agree or disagree with that statement that the veterans can't make an impact anymore? I wouldn't say they I'll... can't make an impact. I do understand where L.A. is coming from, and L.A. would know better than all of us, let's just be honest. I wouldn't say they can't make an impact, but I think the road that veterans have to take is a lot rougher than we give them credit for because we think, okay, this person's already made it. They've got a built-in fan base. They can do that. But it's just a different time. Every time you put out a new project, unless you put it out like months after you dropped your last very hot successful one, you got to start over in many cases, especially these artists who have taken years off and – I mean, just look at a, a artist like a, an Erica Badu, who I love. If she put a single on the radio right now, there are people, listeners out there, who only know of her as Erica and her mystique, but they don't know of her as the artist and the the huge, great discography that she has. So every time she comes out, she's starting over, even though she's a you know a veteran. So Ellie's got a point. Like it's a tough role, but I don't think it's an impossible role. I don't think it's impossible either. I actually think it's a problem of urban radio. I mean, you have only two formats, really. You have the hip-hop radio, which and it's getting younger and younger every year. And then you have Urban AC, 
which plays a lot of the classics as well as some of the more grown R&B music. There's no in-between. So it's really hard to expect an artist like Mariah to be competing for radio spins with artists like, for example, Drake, for example, Jeremiah, like a Tanache Tuan. Like these are records that are, you know, what is she going to do? Like, Bring her music yeah, I want to that, hear Mariah singing those two on, please. Like, and you have a good point, yeah. So, <laughs> that's what I think is part of the issue is that, you know, it's possible that she can still get airplay. I mean, she can get creative. You know, she collaborated with Miguel on a record, who was one of the younger emerging R&B talents, and I think the record actually did pretty well. Why not collaborate with some of the more talented younger artists and try to break through that way? And, um... Well, I mean, you know, speaking on that, I think that artists have to be very careful because that Miguel record, um, and I think we talked about it in the last podcast, Kyle, that record was sounded like a Miguel record instead of a Mariah record. So a lot of these veterans have to be very careful not to get eaten up by the new sound because it sounds like an awkward fit. But I still, as I said, I think Mariah can do it. And not to beat up our fans or any fans of music. I wish they were a little bit more open to new music because I'll hear a lot of these, um, like the, a, the urban AC stations will play classic songs. But then when I go to like a concert, like my, if I go to my boys Keith's concert and Keith Sweat playing a new song and the, you know, the, the women beside me are like, ah! hear the old songs not playing the new songs like you know give the new song a chance that could be a heater too just yeah. give it a chance he gonna see make it last forever just give him a second and let's hear the new stuff so i would i would ask that our fans you know be very willing and open to listen to some of the newer songs because it could be a hit too i i just hate that everything gets boxed into classic stuff or new stuff for the youngest. Like there's uh there's too much good music out there to be shutting yourself out. Right. And this I got I have another point too. Yeah, um sorry Kyle, I have a point. I mean, the the music quality has to be on point too. You can't just be you no can't doubt. just be a celebrity putting out, you know, average music and expecting to get, you know, tons of radio play. And this is not to say Mariah's last album wasn't good or anything like that. I believe it was a very solid album. It's just that you need to continue making great music. She's always made great music. She's got to continue doing so as her career goes on. Oh, no question. And speaking of that, um, I did a review recently of Jamie Foxx's most recent album. Um, and sales came in. That hit about 21,000. Sierra, she's a veteran at this point, hit about 20,000. A lot of these artists who have been in the game a while, their albums are selling, but they aren't the numbers aren't really as large as they should be. Now, I reviewed both of these albums, and I was a little bit more complimentary of Sierra's than Jamie's, but I wasn't hugely into either one of them. Do you think that that quality that you're talking about, Tom, is hurting these sales? No, I mean, the thing is, first week sales, I mean, I guess, you know, that's such a loaded question, because... Nowadays, I mean, back in the day, stuff would have great first week sales, but you never even knew what the album sounded like. There was no streaming. You couldn't preview it in advance. And if it was the artist you liked, you would just buy it first week. No question. Now you can preview it. You can know what's coming out on the album. But I can't even say that's the issue because sales are so down across the board. I mean, who is even really selling aside from a few, a very few handful of major artists? It's like nobody. It's so disappointing. So I can't say, and that's it, pretty much. (laughs) 
I mean, everyone on Twitter so always always clowns Sierra for her low album sales, but then you look at someone like Jamie Foxx, who is a, as we like to call it, an R&B staple, uh, mm-hmm. one of the biggest followings for R&B, you know, everyone loves Jamie Foxx, so for him to sell 21,000, it leads me to believe that it might have more just to do with the industry itself than the artists at this point. I mean, Jamie Foxx, and this is something that I kind of wanted to bring up earlier was, you know, with Mariah, what I've noticed is that she's not getting a lot of support from pop and urban anymore, but she's also not getting a lot of support from urban AC, um, not just Mariah in, gen- uh, in particular, but just in general. Do you guys think when an artist such as a Jamie Foxx, such as a Mariah, puts out a record that caters to the younger crowd and then puts out another single that caters towards the urban AC crowd. Is there a little bit of backlash that happens to where they're saying, okay, since they put out this record, I'm not going to play this one. Mm. That's, yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that. I got to think on that one too. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, yeah. I was sitting here stroking the chin too. I'm like, man, I don't know. That's kind of deep. It's, <laughs> it's weird. And I, yeah. I don't even, um, profess to know what goes through the minds of those who create these playlists, these radio gods that bestow their will upon us. And I got to hear this fatty wop garbage every 20 seconds. So I, I don't even know if they have the foresight to think that or if it's just a, this person is hot right now. Let's get this out. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. That's a great question. Yeah. You know, right now, um, you know, people like Jamie Foxx, like Mariah, they don't really have a lot of outlets. You know, if you look at it right now, Urban, you know, it's so predictable as, you know, what's going to be number one. It's usually the most raunchy, the most obscure lyrics. And then, you know, you have Urban AC, which is incredibly unpredictable. You know, as I look at the charts there, any song can be be a hit, um, but it's it's hard to tell. Well... I think what I was talking about is, uh, you know, there's only two really radio formats. So what, what, um, Ellie Reed called legacy artists like Mariah are kind of boxed in or kind of forced to do something that they don't want to do. Mariah isn't ready to go the urban AC route, which is what everyone considers grown music. It's a much smaller reach. But at the same time, her only other option is hip hop radio where she's going to be competing with the likes of Drake and, um, you know, turn up music basically. And I don't know if she necessarily wants to go there either. So what is someone like Mariah supposed to do that, you know, there's no, there's not really an, a, a good outlet for someone like her. I think that's how I would put it. Well, I think it's up to an artist to, and I, and, and I don't want to put it too hard on an artist, but there's an evolution that has to be there, but it has to be done carefully because I remember on Mariah's last album when she had that, um, what's that song called? The thirsty song and the song that she had with Miguel. Now let's take those two songs. The song thirsty, ugh, like that was an extent, that was a blatant attempt to get to that hip hop radio. And she sounded like the old lady in the club. I ain't trying to hear that. However, when she teamed with, with Miguel, 
for the beautiful single that meshed a little bit better and it was something that could work with hip-hop again the problem with that is that it sounded more like a miguel record than a mariah record so she was kind of swallowed up by that new sound so what artists need to do in 2015 is to evolve their sound but still remain true to their voice and not sound like they're trying to sound like someone else because that's what really hurts some of these artists. Yep, and then, you know, as we talk about album sales with Sierra's sales, Jamie Foxx, Mariah, all three of them didn't really sell up, you know, sell what they normally sell. And, you know, I had mentioned it earlier, it leads me to believe that it's not just the artists, it's the industry itself. Um, Tom, you and I had been talking about possible ways to better that but you know i think at this point i don't think it's about bettering it it's about adapting and finding ways to you know move forward and you know we know about the streaming that's going on spotify title youtube soundcloud and all that stuff but tom you brought up an interesting theory or an interesting concept that may bring back the awareness of rb well this was the thing i had talked about with 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 a potential tour. That's what you're getting at, right, Kyle? Yeah. Why not get five 90s R&B artists together and do a full-blown tour? Now, I'm not talking about spot dates or one-off bookings. I'm talking about 25, you know, predetermined dates across the nation. Get five of the top artists uh, from the 90s R&B. And uh, I think it would do really well. There's not There's very few true R&B tours right now aside from you know, your Kems, your Lettuces, and your Charlie Wilsons. Really, that's it. I mean, Jodeci's on one right now, I believe. But I think, you know, get, I don't want, I don't even want to speculate on names. You, you, you know, get a genuine, get a, a Joe, get a John B. I mean, get I could. Get a key sweat, can, hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can throw out whoever, put five good ones together, and I think it would do well. I mean, I think it would do well, but here's the, here's the fear with that and the worry with that is that when you get, um, artists together who are veterans, like let's say we get a 90s crew together, how do you market that as a tour for everyone and not a nostalgia throwback tour? Because when you have those tours, there are spot dates that go on all the time. My boy Keith comes to Birmingham all the time. I'm there. I'm here and I'm checking them out. But those are usually marketed as old school throwback days. Oh, come bring out your grandmas. Oh, we're going to be electric sliding and percolating. Frankie B. Like that is marketed toward that. And that isolates younger listeners. Now, the trick would be to have a tour that rides off of nostalgia, but then because it's artist tour, the point of the tour, you know, you want to promote your new songs and new music. So the trick would be to do that. So, yeah, you can hear the classic stuff, but you can also hear the new stuff. And here is where the R&B fans come in, because I don't think maybe not. I wouldn't say necessarily the listeners of this podcast because they're better than that. But so many fans only want to hear artists singing their old stuff. So when Keith comes to town, they don't want to hear anything that came out before 1997, even though he has plenty of good songs. So don't worry about nobody and make it last forever. He going to sing that. Give a brother a second. Let him sing out his new stuff because he may have some new heat for you if you give him a second. And it's really up to these art, these um, fans to not only give them the chance to shine, 
but allow this tour to be more than just a nostalgia throwback thing. Because you can write off that nostalgia, but I would hope that a 90s tour would allow these artists to kind of refashion that sound that we love and bring it to new ears and reinvent it, like we were saying with Mariah and some of those artists. You know, take 2015 and infuse it with some of that 1990s, mid, mid-1990s soul. It'll work if you give it a chance. So I like your tour idea if it's done expertly got to be very careful well i just went on one of those nostalgia tours recently that new kids on the block tlc and nelly tour uh, what a lot player like what how many <laughs> decades is that you got 80 90 2000 that was by far the most random show i've ever been to but you make up a great point in that you know you got to make sure that it's not just promoted or looked at as a nostalgia tour because i mean i was even reading reviews for that tour and they were calling nelly a 90s artist and, Come on now. And I remember Country Grammar coming out in 2000. So he's not really a 90s artist. He is not a 90s artist at all. He is one of the biggest artists um, for hip-hop for 2000s, better or worse, but not at all 90s. But I think what you also see now, and Tom, I think you can attest to this, is when shows are being promoted now, you'll have an act like Keith Sweat with an act like Jay Holiday all in one show, and they'll just promote that as R&B, and that's just that's different decades of R&B. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And then and, uh, and, and another thing I wanted to bring up, though, and, and it's why you know we need outlets like these tours and stuff to get people talking about R&B is we don't we don't have enough support from R&B artists supporting other R&B artists to spread the word about what's out, what's coming out, what albums are coming out, who's putting out good music. I very rarely see it. Uh, Rarely, you never Devon see it. Yes. Well, <laughs> Raheem Devon, I always give him credit. He he's made a, a effort to do that, and here and there I see some others, but I just don't understand why we can't have you know word of mouth is so powerful. And very much so. It, very much so. Why don't we see it, guys? Oh I mean, yeah, it, one of my biggest pet peeves is that when we look at the world of hip hop. They always, especially this younger generation of Kendrick Lamar's and J. Cole's and these young artists who are following in the footsteps of the veterans, they always shout them out. They always kind of, if they're at a show, they'll bring them out on stage. And, you know, they always give support to those who pave the way. We never see that in R&B. It's always everybody sticks to their own lane, promotes their own stuff. And if they don't have anything to promote, then they'll just promote their older stuff. Like, you know, it would behoove the uh, the genre as a whole if you show love to the entire genre. Because when this guy wins, we all win. But you know what? I think R&B is still suffering from egos and all of that stuff. Because, you know, what Tom mentioned with the super tours that people should be going on, I think, again, they do the one-offs. I think in the UK, actually, they have an R&B night and they book like five artists and they do that, I think, at a pretty big um, venue, but, I mean, in terms of doing it for 20-something dates, I mean, you're going to have R&B artists, and it shouldn't happen, but it's the reality. They're going to argue over who opens, who closes, and, I mean, I think that's mm. always been R&B, is that everyone wants to close. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we don't see that in rap, too. I mean... It's it's there. There's competing. There's egos. There's always going to be braggadocio because that's how that genre thrives. But I don't know. I just see that, especially this new generation is coming up. 
And of all, of all the genres that I follow, hip hop has the biggest identity crisis and the problem with, it's like it doesn't want to remember decades past. It wants to live in the present, but there's a new artist. It's this new wave of artists who are willing to show their forefathers some love. And I just want to see that in R&B and I don't understand why it's doing it, why they won't do it. Well, it's also, I think, collaborations. How many R&B collaborations do you see? Like you mentioned, you know, artists and them deciding who to close. Well, a lot of times, whoever the closing artist is, they probably have a song with one of the opening acts or one of the middle acts. Right. So maybe we need more collaborations in R&B. Maybe that's it. I think that's a good point. I think we need to see more of those, and I think that we need to see them on that level because there's a lot of, I ain't singing no hooks for this person. I ain't singing hooks. You know, if there's a little give and take, I think both artists, again and again, the genre can grow as a whole. And we just put that ego aside and try to do what's best for the genre and the sound. Because it hurts me when I see R&B sound moving away from its roots. And now we're calling anything with a trap beat R&B just because a R&B singer is pseudo rapping over it. That's not R&B. That's somebody pretending to rap. Um, and then with that, um, just some other topics that we want to discuss. Um, of course, you guys all are aware that Genuine and Timbaland are working on a new project together. The album is presently titled The Bachelor Again, But Wiser. Uh, first of all, oh, yeah. that's how well, you can see my face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? I, you know, I'm a big Genuine fan, so I'm looking forward to this project. Um, but that title is that title is kind of crazy. That title is not the business. Look, I understand what he's trying to do because this is a return to 96. This is G and Tim getting back together and recreating that bachelor sound that even to this day still sounds light years ahead of what we currently hear. It's insane. But, but, but if you want to name your album, you know, the return of the bachelor or the bachelor two or the bachelor's in your bedroom again or something i don't know but <laughs> returning but why back but wiser man what no first of all i can't even that don't roll off the tongue no <laughs> jeez I, I i i won't comment on the title but i will say it would be nice to hear um genuine and timbaland dip into the static major uh archives and, and pull out a track you know he left he left so many songs before he passed and you know, genuine and static worked so successfully back in the day. So anxious, you know, pony, same old G. And I uh, would love to hear them keep Stag's legacy alive as well in, in the process here. Oh, I'm all for that. Yep. And hey, maybe they might change the name from The Bachelor, but why again, but wiser to 200% genuine. I'd be okay with that. See, I'm okay with that too. Yes. The Bachelor again, but wiser. Like what? <laughs> that sounds like somebody's like face their Twitter description. <laughs> hey, that might be fine tonight. <laughs> God. But um, moving forward, we have a couple of projects that came out recently. Ed, you did a review on the Sierra project. You did a review on the Jamie Foxx album. Um, just a couple of other ones. Um, the Snoop album. Ed, you did a review on that. It's not sure really, it but I mean, it could fall into the world of R&B. It definitely could. And of those three, that album I had the least amount of hope for. And it ended up blowing me away. I was listening to it yesterday. It is, I mean, it's Snoop. So we're, you know, we're not saying that he has the voice of Uncle Charlie Wilson. Luckily, he's there to kind of help 
um, keep dude from totally sinking because he is no no vocalist. We'll say that. But he just has that funk sound down pat. We got Pharrell and the Neptunes because I think Chad is kind of like staying on under the radar, but he did some work behind the boards there too. But the sound is great. It is such an energetic, fun summer record, sort of like the 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 um MJ album, the Michael Jackson album from last summer. How it was just so much fun. Somehow Snoop has captured that, and it's crazy that it's not R and B, but it's almost more authentic and soulful than even Sierra or Jamie Foxx's record. Sierra's album was okay. It was a little too dance heavy for me, a little too poppy for me, but I liked it better than her last effort. Poor Jamie's album was a bit of a mess, but you know, you can go to soulandstereo.com to see what I had to say about that one. Yep. And then another exciting single for everyone is Timbaland's protege Tink. Who uh, yes. remake of One in a Million? Well, I don't. I don't want to say a remake. She sampled the record and flipped it and made it her own. Um, have you guys had a chance to check out that song yet? I have not. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it though. I heard, I've heard good things about it. So have I. I haven't checked it out yet, but I have heard good things. Tink is my girl, and as I as we all know, I ride for Timberland and I ride for Missy. They're hometown folks, so. I'm always going to ride for those two. If they get behind somebody, I'm usually behind somebody. Tink is a phenomenal artist, and in a genre, in a time period where female rappers are hideous, I am glad to have her on board. And then the last single we wanted to talk about, we're not single, but um, the last project was the Rico Love project that just came out. Um, we're all huge fans of Rico Love um, and his songwriting. Can you, you know, anyone uh, listen to that project yet? I mean, Tom, I know you were at the listening party. I was at the listening event, press event they had here in New York City. Definitely an interesting album. It's a conceptual project, you know, about a relationship he went through, but it's just like pure storytelling from one song to the next. It's interesting. We know him as a writer and producer. You know, we've we've heard him a little bit as an artist, but I'll just say it's an interesting uh, project and one worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, I, I gave the uh, album a listen just recently, two days ago. Definitely an interesting project, something that you really have to sit with and listen to, a lot of great concepts on there. Um, his singing, of course, you know, as a songwriter, you, you don't expect the singing to be amazing. Uh, I don't think Rico would even tell you he was he's the most amazing singer, but some of it will remind you of Usher just because he was written for Usher. Um, but, you know, just walk, go into that project with an open mind, um, Kind of wish he he uh, didn't rap as much on the project because that was a little iffy for me. But I mean, just conceptually and just sonically, it was a pretty good project. Yeah, I haven't heard it myself yet. Now we know Rico Love is no Nas Illmatic on this microphone, so you got to give mm-hmm. him a little bit of wee- leeway for that. So I'll be checking it out to give my expert opinion soon enough. Yeah, and then along with that, um, just to close everything out. Um, of course, we're going to come back next week with, with more fun stuff. But, Ed, uh, kind of tell us what's going on with SoInStereo.com. Yes, player. So I ask you this. Who is the king of R&B? If you heard that question, we were chatting about this over on Twitter, the, on my Twitter the other day, and we had this long discussion about who we would crown king of 90s R&B. So I decided to actually flesh that out. So over on SoInStereo.com, I have a post where we discuss the kings and queens of R&B from 1990 going all the way through 99. And if you think about those eras of music, how the eras have changed, we went from 
the New Jack Swing era that was kind of fading out at the beginning of the decade to the influx of hip hop to the soulful neo soul sound near the end of the decade to the influx of pop near the end. So or each year, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, going all the way to 99, we crown a king or a queen or multiple kings in some cases for each year and it's really a look almost like a time capsule of the of the way r&b has evolved in the past of that decade and seeing the people who really kind of paved the way and then i crown one king of r&b for the 90s to settle that fact so if you want to see who i got go to soulandstereo.com see what's going on if you like it if you dislike it you can always hit my email up because my inbox stays in flames. So, but I love it though. Y'all bring the heat. It's cool. And then of course, on you know, I got soul. Tom and I have been working on a lot of things. We've been rather slow lately, not because we're lacking content, but it's because Tom's uh, laptop died recently. So we have a lot of interviews waiting to be published. Uh, he's gonna get that situated. Uh, Tom, I know one of the interviews you did recently was with Troy Taylor, who was one of the people who kind of. Uh, discovered Trey songs and developed him. You know, how was that interview? Ran to Troy Taylor at a Kevin Ross listening event for Kevin's upcoming Motown Records debut album. And, uh, he's, he's been working with Kevin, uh, kind of working with him in, um, as a mentor, you know, guiding him through the industry along with his manager, Ezekiel Lewis. So, um, Troy gave us some great insight into, into that. And also, um, you know, like you said, Trey songs is early career. And, uh, you know, up till up to date. So it'll be an interesting one to check out when we get up on the site. Yep. And then just myself, personally speaking, um, I, I did a great interview with Lloyd. Um, and, you know, he's been missing for a minute. So, I mean, his last album came out almost four years ago. And that's the thing that we kind of like doing on, you know, I got so and and Ed, of course, you, you on so and stereo. You've always had those features on. Where are they now? Yep. And, uh, we're still trying to find Magoo. Um, Ed, I'm going to leave that up to you. You're going to be the one that finds it. <laughs> Listen, Maganu is my dude. I was listening to the Indecent Proposal album with him and Tim a couple of days ago, and that will not set any lyrical bars. Any lyrical standards will not be set, but I don't care. That album is pure, an hour of fun and hilarity. And Maganu, when you put him next to some of these people, you got me listening to these Fede Wops. And these other people, y'all swear are hot. Magoo got bars compared to these dudes, man. I'm telling you. So next time I go home to VA, I'm going to go by the nearest Chick-fil-A. I'm going to swing up in Taco Bell. I'm going to ask folks, where is Maganoo? I need to have my video camera there. We need to have on a nationwide manhunt, where is Magoo? We're going to bring him on. You know I got soul for this podcast player. Maganoo needs to be heard. Right. <laughs> and then the other person that we're looking out for is... uh. I'm not sure if you guys remember, but the song Steal Away on Mary J. Blige's, uh, I think it was her No More Drop <laughs> album. It was a Neptunes-produced track. Great record. And then a random rap feature sh- uh, appears on that song. Um, it's been speculated for years whether it was a member of the Clips, whether it was someone from Philly's Most Wanted, which was another group that Neptunes worked a lot with. Um, but no one knows who that is. No, and I thought it was for years. I just assumed it was one of the Clips. And I... I was told that that was not the case a couple of years ago. So right. I have no idea who this mysterious lyricist is. So for all our uh, R&B listeners out there, someone please find this guy and let us know who it is. <laughs> Speaking of the Neptunes, uh, Tom, of course, you had the Soul Village event that happened. Uh, Mark Dorsey, who collaborates with the Neptunes, 
fairly frequently. He did Love You Better with LL Cool J. He was there, but, uh, you know, the main event for Soul Village was obviously RL and Naughty by Nature. RL came out and performed for us at our Soul Village show, which was huge, and he brought out Naughty by Nature to perform with him. And for those who don't know the history, RL was discovered by KG, the DJ from Naughty by Nature, and yes. kind of took him under his wing early on, signed him to his label, so he came up with Naughty. And uh it was really cool to have them all on hand for Soul Village. Naughty is an absolutely, I mean, they're a treasure to hip-hop, and they're probably one of the most underlooked groups of all time because you just don't hear them get the love that they deserve in 2015. But those trash is amazing. Yep, so. Absolutely. You know what? We got a lot of great things coming. Uh, we'll probably come back next week to chat more. Uh, so we'll just leave it off. You know, we have been talking about this off the air, but we want to leave it off with a little bit of fun. Um, so I'm going to go out and put on record right now. I think bacon is the most overrated food ever. If we're going to choose between bacon, sausage and ham, sausage all the way. What is wrong with you people? Have I not taught you better than this? Now, first of all, asking to choose between bacon, sausage, and ham is like asking to choose which three children are better, which one is Huey, Dewey, or Louie from the DuckTales, which one is better, because all three are awesome. Which of the first three 112 albums are the most banging? You can't choose because all three are awesome. Player, you can't. Oh, I go with bacon just because of the fallback, but... Oh, you, I'm just throwing my hands up in the air because I am so frustrated. Well, I'm going with grilled chicken, and you can call me Uncle Scrooge. Oh, but oh, thanks, Uncle Scrooge. Grilled <laughs> oh. chicken. Come on now. I'm trying to look for some. I'm trying to destroy your arteries and you being healthy. Uh, all right, listeners. So we got we got some homework to do. Uh, I guess one third of you guys can help Ed find Magoo. Another third of you guys can find out who the rapper on Steal Away by Mary J. Blige is. And the other third of you guys, I guess you guys can convince Ed that sausage is definitely better than than uh, than bacon. Oh, yeah, please. The other third over there eating their grilled chicken. They aren't even. Ugh. I am just disgusted with you health nuts. <laughs> so, I mean, that's it for this week. Uh, we'll catch. We'll, we'll come back next week and discuss more. Got a lot of great content coming from, uh, for you guys. And, uh, you know, if you guys have any questions, definitely hit us up. You can hit up Ed. Uh, Ed, give him your Twitter. Give him your uh, handles. E-T-B-O-W-S-E-R. E-T-B-O-W-S-E-R. Like the guy from Mario. Hit me on Twitter. Yeah. And then if you want to hit Tom and, I, and myself up, of course, you guys you, you guys know where to reach us on Twitter. We're at at Y-K-I-G-S. Uh, Instagram, you know I got soul, and then Facebook, obviously, hit us up on Facebook. Uh, we're pretty good at replying, so, um, you know, that's it for me. Do you guys have anything else to add? Nope. This week, we've got some more good content coming up. Um, might have a feature on Tweet. Might have some more relationship advice, which I like to throw out every once in a while. I get lots of readers asking, hey, what should I do about my relationship? So we have a segment called Love Letters that I break out every so often where I dig in the mailbag and answer some questions. So you might get some of my sage love advice this week if time permits. But we always have fun over there. So stop by at soulandstereo.com. Yep. 